I sort of feel about gender like cats feel about microwaves. It's not really for them. And they're like, that's neat. Looks like you use that all the time. Makes your life feel good. I don't really care. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, the mental health podcast where imperfect people have imperfect conversations. I'm your host, Christina, and let me just say, first of all, that I'm really excited for this episode. Uh, My guest, Eileen Wynn, is a poet that I met online about five years ago when we were both struggling with eating disorders, and um, truly one of the most articulate people I know everything that comes out of their mouth is just beautiful, wise, funny. I I feel like I should just let you listen to the episode and decide for yourselves. But anyway, I want to get right to that interview. So this intro is going to be short. It has definitely been a long week for me. One of those weeks that I like to say developed my character. You know, in a TV show where some weeks are just really depressing and nothing good happens and there's a lot of conflict and the next episode, all the problems magically get solved. But in that moment, things look pretty bleak for the character and you feel sorry for them, but you also know that all of this bad shit is going to reward you in the end. Like the character is going to grow. You know, when we're watching as an audience, we love that shit because it's dramatic and it's fun watching other people's lives come apart. Let's be honest. At least if it's a fake person, you know that it's not real. You're a little less invested. Like Euphoria, for instance. Uh, The main character is a drug addict and every episode, it seems like she finds some way to sabotage her own sobriety. And as uh, an addict who is sober from alcohol but still heavily identifies to the addict mindset, I can really relate with that character. And it's easy for me to look at my life and be like, because things aren't as crazy as they are in Euphoria, I'm doing okay. (laughs) Uh, You know, because I'm not ODing in front of my little sister and going to rehab for 12 weeks, I I must be doing all right. And so it's easy for me to look at weeks like the one I just had, full of minor frustrations and stresses and well, okay, actually, it wasn't all minor. I did um, have to get put my car in the shop. I ran over a curb uh, and my bumper fell off. <laughs> so that happened on Tuesday, and that was not fun. Uh, on top of all the other things I was experiencing, it was just a character development week for me. Um, so after that kind of week I had, yesterday, I just didn't do anything. I sat at home with my partner and my cats, and... We literally didn't do anything but watch TV and eat snacks all day. And normally, it's really hard for me to do that. I I feel like if I don't do anything productive with my time, I'm wasting it. But lately, I've been really trying to reframe the way I look at downtime. I'm trying to look at it as more like self-care. Rest being absolutely essential for your mental health. And so I purposefully told myself yesterday, you're not going to do anything and you're going to love it and it pretty much worked. I slept more than I've slept all year. I I didn't think about the podcast. I didn't think about school or work. I just was present in my body and noticing how tired it was and trying to honor it. And I would highly recommend it if you can. I know it's one of the hardest things ever, but uh, because I had that restful day yesterday, I'm feeling pretty good today. Like I said, this is a great interview. I'm excited for y'all to hear. If you want to be a guest and you just haven't tested the waters yet, I'm here to say, come on in. The water is uh, fine, I guess. (laughs) Uh, But for real, you can DM me on Instagram or email me at picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com if you want to be on the podcast and tell your own story and just be awkward with me. I was going to say something even more clever, but I honestly, I guess I don't have the energy for that yet. So without further ado, uh, I hope you enjoy this interview and have a great week. All right. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Hi. I'm so excited for you to be here. I feel like we've been friends online forever, but I've like never really spoken to you. 
Yeah, I don't think we ever have spoken, but we have been friends online for what four, five years. Oh my god, years, stop! Maybe? Don't say that. Sure. Um, <laughs> we don't why? Have to start there. We can start wherever you want to. This is your show. Well, it's my show, but it's also your show. It's everyone's show. Why don't you start by introducing yourself to the lovely listeners? Yeah. Hi, um, my name is Eileen. Um, my last name is Wynn. My pronouns are they, them. I'm an agender poet who was born and raised in Ohio, and I'm in Florida right now getting my master's. What else? I like to rollerblade and I have a cat named Piano. Yes. Piano yeah. is sitting in their lap in a backpack. Yes. It's really nice. She's just purring like, I'm fine. <laughs> That's the best we can hope for, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So what's your background with mental health? I know that's a really uh, annoying question. But I know you have a lot of thoughts. I do. Because when you're like, what's your background? I'm like, okay, where do I start? Do I start with the symptoms? Or do I go all the way back to like, the fact that like, there's intergenerational trauma? And like, I don't know. So I think like my background in mental health is complicated. Um, I majored in psychology in college. And that was like a lot of me search in a way. Oh my god, I um, love that. Someone else on Peach said it first, so I can't like take credit. I, it was Diane, I believe. Also, um, shout out to all the peaches that have been on the podcast. There's an, this online community that has really been there since the start of the podcast. And I've had so many as guests and it's just amazing people. Yeah, seriously, seriously. Yeah, great support system. Most definitely. So yeah, I did a lot of like me search. I wanted to understand basically like like the different things that I was experiencing. So like from a young age, I definitely was like experiencing things like self-harm and like disordered eating. But I'm even before those symptoms showed up, like I can remember having like really like depressive episodes. And it's hard for me to separate that from like what was my mental health and what was situational mm. because as a lot of people with mental illness know like or understand it can be caused by like developmental things that happen when you're developing by totally. abuse, by family structures things like that so it's hard for me to separate i feel like my background in mental illness a lot of times is like a background of like interpersonal struggle and those things like being extremely related well, the, the yeah. dichotomy is really interesting to me because it's like, which came first, like the mental illness or the, the trauma, you know, and it, in some right. cases, it's so hard to separate the two. And it, it it, there's a lot of guilt that can happen. Like, am I broken or should I be mad at the world for placing me in this situation or like mad at myself? Like, do you have sure. any experience with that? I think for a long time, like I was really angry and needed to be really angry at my parents specifically, but also my siblings. And I was just estranged from like my family for a long time because I think the ways that like their mental illness and their trauma was going untreated was like just obviously interacting in a really profound way with mine. Like, you know, they say like your parents know your buttons, like they put them there. Um, but that was like true of all of us. Cause we were like super enmeshed and unhealthy and it was very like abusive and weird and like, um, getting out of it and keeping my distance, I think helped me separate a little bit. And I needed to be angry to like, start to understand that it wasn't my fault, but like over time, I've also, come to terms with a lot of that anger by like building compassion and by like being grateful for what I have in my life now. It sounds so simple, but it's like a really no, and I know intense you've done, process. Yeah. Years of work to get to that point. Yeah. We won't focus too much on your family background, but do you want to kind of describe the way you grew up? Yeah. So um, <laughs> through like getting to know my girlfriend and talking about, um, you know, ourselves and learning, uh, she used the term like family cult. And I was like, damn, that hits. Like my dad was like really abusive and controlling. Um, both my parents had backgrounds in their childhood with like sexual abuse and my mom definitely with like sexual assault. So like, I, I think they gravitated towards each other and sort of like trauma bonded and like tried to do things differently. Like, I do think I was raised better than my parents. Like, I think they did a better job than their parents did. Um, I think the bar was on the floor. <laughs> and um, I feel that like actually being able to clear that, like that's why I don't have a relationship with my dad and why like my relationship with my mom is like new, <laughs> but that background really influenced 
me, it just, there was like a lot of anger, a lot of emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Like it was just Mm -hmm. not a good time. And my parents were very miserable. Like they were not making each other happy for a long time. And, and there's definitely like addiction, things like that present or sort of like not present, but it's under the surface. Well, the question I usually ask people is, was mental health talked about in your family? And Mm. most people say, you know, we had mental health issues, but we didn't talk about it. So what was the experience with your family? It was kind of strange. It would be pulled out every once in a while. I wouldn't say that it was never talked about. Like I can remember one time I, I'd never liked to do sports and I was like, don't make me exercise to my dad. Like I was like, leave me alone. And I said something to him, like, cause I didn't understand how bodies worked. My mom had explained that she didn't have cartilage in her knees. And I said to my dad, like, well, mom doesn't have cartilage in her knees because she like did so many sports and like wore them out. And that's what my mom had told me. But my dad was like, don't ever say that your mother starved herself because of her self-esteem. And that's why she doesn't have cartilage in her knees. It was like really what? angry at me. I know. Right. What? So like it was talked about in these super strange, like, it, I don't know what, what's even make of that because it's just like so sideways. And I don't know, like he, he had a very strange conception of what mental health or illness meant. I could tell my mom that I was suicidally depressed and she would tell me that she would get me help, but then it wouldn't happen. But then I would go to therapy, but then my parents would like try to take over the therapy session and talk about, like, it was strange. Like there was interactions with it, but none of it, like, stuck it was I don't know I don't even know what to make of it <laughs> where do you fall in the birth order I'm the oldest I'm the oldest oh, me too high <laughs> five, yeah, high five. <laughs> it's, it's a great club sure yeah uh, yeah <laughs> I've been talking a lot about um being parentified and like thinking about that a lot too oh my just god because my parents are unstable yeah you sent me a few topics to potentially talk about i'm really mm-hmm. excited because i haven't covered a lot of them on the podcast yet but i actually really want to talk about the concept of parentification because i've been thinking about it a lot lately and it's really relevant right now so what is that <laughs> I would say it's when I think the old, it's usually the oldest child, though I'm sure it could happen to any child. Like if that child is like more competent or whatever, but the oldest child, usually I think it happens to is given responsibility, like above whatever's appropriate for their developmental stage. I think it happens a lot of time to um, people that are assumed to be women when they're born, or I guess not women. How should I say that? I guess AFAB, right? Mm-hmm. I think it happens a lot of time to AFAB people who are expected to be like a second mom, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it creates just like really unhealthy boundaries because you're like a parent only when they need you to be. And you're like only a kid, like when it's time for you to like get what you want or like make a decision. So you have to be like responsible, like an adult, but then you only have like the freedoms of a child. And it's confusing. No agency whatsoever. It's, it is quite confusing and I'm nodding furiously this whole time. The (laughs) listeners can't see, but I can relate a lot because I have six younger siblings and I basically raised them, which is why I, I, I don't want kids now. I'm just like, I'm good with my cats, you know? Same. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I love my cat so much, but like, I think that like, if I didn't have her or like, if it was the end of her life, I'm not sure I'd get another one for Mm. a while. Just especially after like getting divorced recently, like I'm just tired of like responsibilities. Yeah. And like the cat is good for me. Like I love her. She's still on my lap. I'm not going to get rid of her, but it's just so much because she kind of like is like a baby right now. And I just don't want kids. Like I took care of my siblings already. (laughs) Pets are a huge responsibility. I don't think people always Mm -hmm. realize when they get a pet. I mean, cats are maybe... I don't want to say lower on the responsibility scale. They're a lot, they're less work than like a dog, let's say, for instance. Yes. I had a dog with an ex and it was a nightmare and it made me never Oof. want a dog again. But yeah, cats, like I've never had an elderly pet, for instance. I'm kind of terrified mm-hmm. of when my cats get old and I have to, you know, take care of them and stuff. I can barely Same. take care of myself. Same, same. <laughs> and uh, Moral of I, the podcast, don't get a pet. Don't get a pet. No. <laughs> Just kidding. Pets are amazing. Yeah. And I will say like my girlfriend's been a lot of help taking care of her, but she's not like had a cat for a while either. So it's been a learning process for both of us. And like, like just things are different. I project on the cat a lot of my like, oh, she feels like this because it's like, I'm the one dealing with change, but yeah, she is still in a backpack on my lap. So it's not like she doesn't feel it. (laughs) 
Um, anyway, let's talk about your divorce. <laughs> sure, let's do it. Let's dive right in. Oh my God. Um, so the biggest thing I will say is that um, I'm still learning so much about grief and nonlinear processes, and it's so mm. fucking annoying. <laughs> what what kind of experience do you have with grief overall? I would say that like I've not experienced a lot of death in my life that felt extremely um close to me like my great first experience with death that I really remember I was like 16 and my great grandmother died she was almost 100 it was not a surprise it's not like I had been close with her I thought she was neat but she had always been old to me even from the time I was a baby right so that did not impact me very much um I had some like strange peripheral experiences with death but it was never anyone that I like really knew closely or was friends with and in college, I went through a process of grieving my parents and that relationship. And that felt a lot like they had died. Like I felt like an orphan yeah. for a long time. And that was a strange experience because both my parents are still alive. Yeah. Oh, God. I just want to ask you about all this stuff. <laughs> this is a very nonlinear conversation. It uh, is. I'm bad <laughs> at being linear. <laughs> hey, you don't You don't need to be, you know, life is not linear. That's true. And it's like nonlinear processes, right? So like when I am grieving this divorce, it brings up other griefs and other traumas, which my therapist recently pointed out to me, like grief is an emotion that runs so deep that when you experience it, it ties into the other times you've experienced it. Mm. And I just feel like that's really unfair. I feel like that's bad design. It hurts so bad. I'm tired of it. Let's rewind a little bit and talk about what grief means to you outside mm -hmm. of the traditional description. Yeah. So my girlfriend and I just looked up the definition and the etymology of grief the other day because I was really curious and like where bereavement comes from. And a lot of the Latin roots um, have to do with being robbed and being broken. And that really resonated with me in a way that like feeling sad or angry, like didn't or doesn't. I really feel like it's like a profound loss that feels like you're missing a part of yourself. Hmm. Like I would say that to me, that's like a defining aspect of grief. And what what is it about grief you feel like other people don't get in your everyday encounters? I feel like it's the same thing I don't get, which is I will blame myself for feeling okay for a while and then breaking down because I will think to myself, you've been feeling sad the whole time and this was just you avoiding your emotions. And then when it builds up, you have a breakdown and it's because you haven't been taking care of your emotions the whole time. And I said that to my therapist and she was like, no, <laughs> grief is like a roller coaster that's like not predictable. And there will be times where you just feel okay. And there's like nothing to process. You're in a mode of acceptance and then something is going to challenge that and you're going to get dropped all over again. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people offered me support around my divorce divorce let me say that correctly around my divorce early on and I kind of was in a mode of like feeling okay with it a lot of the time so I think I like seem fine I'm like chugging along and now it's a few months out and I'm like damn actually now I'm really struggling and like now it hurts bad and it's actually like not about my ex-husband it is about like the the way that he was a portion of my life, a, mm -hmm. a person who held my memory and my habits and my tastes and my routines. And that consistency was a part of me. It takes a long time to build that consistency, too, and to share yourself with the person in that way. Like, do you ever just think of all your exes running around and like their moms know your name and it's like your favorite breakfast and stuff and you're never going to see them again? And that. Yeah, I feel like grieving when I think of that. Yeah, it feels like a weird like nakedness to know oh, that totally. like you kind of like took off your clothes in front of someone and now like they can just run around and like think about that anytime. Yeah. But like also emotionally. <laughs> I mean, I try not like to think about it, but yeah, <laughs> well, I think I know, that's that, horrifying. <laughs> as you talk about grief, I, I, I don't think it's something that ever really ends. Like, I mean, it is kind of yeah. an emotion. People think you have a grieving period and then you're mm -hmm. done grieving and then they don't need to support you anymore. And then later on, like you said, you feel sad. And it's like, oh, this is this is a part of you, you know, yeah. it's like you never happiness or sadness never leaves you. It's always in you and it comes up, you know, as it does in life. I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you think grief is something you'll always deal with? I think it is. And I think it's something that gets like more sporadic and less intense over time. I get extremely frustrated at the 
idea that it's it doesn't go away because I struggle with the idea that just because I understand an emotion doesn't mean it's over oh, and geez. like it really makes me feel like stupid to revisit these emotional places because in my brain intellectually it is over I have accepted it so that disconnect is tough and it makes me feel like rough about the idea that grief can last that long but I also know like I don't grieve my dad anymore. Like mm. I'm, I'm moving into a space in my life where I'm not even really writing a lot of poems about him. I'm sure that I probably will write poems about him for yeah. the rest of my life, but it's not something where like for a while, like for a couple of years, even like most of my poems are about my dad. And I was yeah, like, I read some of them. I hate this, you know? <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I, oh God. I want to talk about your poetry too and stuff, but um, back to your divorce. Let's stay on track. Yes. Back to the divorce. So when did you meet your, your ex-husband? Oh my gosh, I met him when I was 18. It was November 10th, 2011. So it was like, no, very beginning of 2011. We met in 2010. Okay. Yeah. And then October of 21 is when I was like, oh shit, I guess I really do need a divorce. <laughs> so it was about 10 years. Sometimes that's how long it takes, you know? I mean... Yeah. <laughs> Not all relationships last forever. And that's like the hardest thing to accept, I think. Mm -hmm. Just because you, you end a relationship doesn't mean it was a bad relationship. But then, I, you know, you yeah. haven't said anything about it yet. So <laughs> no, but you know, because you did your research, right? Like yeah. uh... <laughs> a little bit. I try to keep the element of surprise. Sure. Yeah. Uh, who doesn't love that? Uh, <laughs> we uh, we're still on good terms. Like the catalyst for us getting divorced was me being gay. And there are other things in our relationship that I think were tough. But I think that j just ultimately that was the main reason why it was just like never going to work. And I think that like though things are weird right now, how could they not be? Right. I think that like we will be friends. And I think that um like my siblings consider him their brother. And mm -hmm. so I consider him like in that he's important to me and always will be. But yeah, that almost makes it harder. Yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> or at least it did at first. Um, Cause after a while too, there were things where I was like, you know, yeah, that really wasn't working. Like, I'm glad that like our relationship ended well. I also feel like really grateful and there's, there definitely is still grief, but it's very tight. Like speaking of a roller coaster, right? The highs mm -hmm. have been like, wow, like all these things that I stopped expecting in a relationship because it wasn't something that he could offer. Like I can expect that again and it's not wrong. Yeah. Oh my like, God. That's cool. I just want to like let that sink in because that's so, uh, what's the word? It's a hot take. <laughs> Spicy. So when you guys got together, I'm assuming you didn't know you were gay. I didn't know I was gay, but I had been identifying as bisexual. But here's the part that doesn't make any sense. In my head, I was a bisexual straight person. Okay. And I didn't really feel queer. I was giving myself a queer label. Everyone around me knew that I was queer. I was like dressing alternatively and being like, I want to be president of the Gay Straight Alliance in my college and shit. But like, I felt like essentially a straight person, probably also because I was dating Michael like the whole time. And then before him, I had been engaged to a dude in high school because I grew up like really religious. So like very heteronormative. Hey. Like, yeah. I feel the same exact way when I was in treatment. I like explored the possibility of being queer and I, I feel very invalid because I've only been with dudes, you know, and it's like also grew up super religious, like straight passing, all that stuff. It's just yeah. like, it's such a spectrum and no one can make you feel like, I don't know, labels are stupid. <laughs> they really are they really are and uh without like representation like I didn't understand so much about what it meant to be queer and uh I don't know there's this document online you might have heard of it called the lesbian master doc no no okay google it like so immediately <laughs> it's basically like here's how heteronormativity might have affected you and I read that like really early on. So, okay, this has to do with the divorce. I read it early on when Mike was in inpatient treatment, which he decided to do because his job was like extremely stressful. And he was like heading toward a breakdown with that. And then I was like, listen, like I'm really gay and this is like, this is tough. And I, I'm still trying to figure it out, but this is really pointing me in that direction. And he was kind of like, well, if I don't have a job and I don't have you, I'm fucked and I, that's a problem. So I need to go take care of myself. So he just like went 
away for a month. And so okay. like four days in and I'm like crying the whole time. Right. And I'm Googling like, how do you know if you're gay? And like this pops up and TikTok is telling me that I'm gay. Right. Cause TikTok knows. Yeah. TikTok does know. Yeah. Oh my so God. Get- I'm looking at it right now, by the way. Yes. So that comes up in my algorithm enough times that I'm like, fine, I'll fucking Google it. And I read through it. And then I think about the relationship that I'm having with my girlfriend, because at the time, like I'm Polly um, and I can just see the difference and I can see that it like has to do with gender. And I can see that like all these things that I was kind of like resenting Michael for, but I knew weren't really wrong, didn't have to do with my trauma. It was that I just didn't like that he was a guy and I was married Mm. to that. Like that's so hard to to accept. It was. And it wasn't until he went away. So I didn't have to be constantly confronted with how much I care about and respect him Mm -hmm. that I could see that like all these annoyances that I were swallowing were like connected to something. And like, we really just needed that time apart, which then made me realize too, like, was our relationship like really codependent, like that we didn't Mm -hmm. have enough space from each other to see how we were feeling. Cause then also in retrospect, once we separated, I was like, I don't think this man has been in love with me for a long time. Mm -hmm. That hurts my feelings. Oh. Oh, that's, weird because now I have nothing to do with it like so that's been like a weird grief too of like oh man like we've just been roommates for a long time what was that like damn I've been there a few times and it's really it especially if the person's a good person and you care about them and we were still like watching tv together on the couch like I was trying to like be like let's go to the beach and like let's do stuff and like we really were trying to like work on things we were seeing like couples therapists and stuff but like yeah we were just like really good at therapy and like really good at communicating so and we were like healthy and respected each other so it was really hard to see all the stuff that was like wrong which sounds like bragging (laughs) no (laughs) this was like the beginning of october it was like right around october 1st that he checked in and it was like october 7th that i was like i like circled in my planner i'm like this was the day that i said the d word out loud to someone else and i couldn't take it back i like talked to my therapist and then i talked to my oldest friends on the way home i was like okay girlfriend like she was like the last person no i think i told my mom right after i told michael but yeah she was the last person that i told where like after the trifecta of like therapist best friend and romantic partner like if you tell those three people something you can't go back on it no. you can't be like actually i changed my mind like yeah. i want to wait like, like no you're not sorry you've reached yeah. the point of no return yeah and then like i told another old friend too and she's like i mean you've been a lesbian for a long time and then i was like why didn't anybody tell me and she's like you're telling everybody else we thought you knew well so okay you're you're a gender can mm-hmm. you tell the listeners what that means and like how it, it intersects with your your lesbian identity? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, I there's this meme online that's like no gender, only lesbian, and like that's kind of how I feel. <laughs> I just feel like I'm an extremely like sapphic person, and I was assigned female at birth. Um, I identify with womanhood in like a weird way where like I kind of just don't. I sort of feel about gender like cats feel about microwaves. It's not really for them. And they're like, that's neat. Looks like you use that all the time. Makes your life feel good. I don't really care. (laughs) I don't even know what that does. Uh, It doesn't make sense to me. I'm a cat. So I think a little bit of that has to do with the fact that I think I might be on the spectrum, but I just don't feel like gender makes sense to me and I don't have time for it and I'd rather not. And I feel like identifying with the way that like I love women is like the closest that I get to identifying with womanhood. Mm -hmm. So I feel comfortable saying lesbian because the way that I love women makes me feel more, I guess, womanly, whatever that means, or feminine. I like the way that you're describing this because I I don't feel like you resent womanhood or you, you know, are trying to escape it. You you know, it's it's just something that exists, like you said. Yeah, so I feel that so hard because I have a spicy take. I just feel like, like I saw a TikTok the other day that was talking about like, sometimes I identify as a woman, but some, and listed all like when woman means this or that. And then it was like, and sometimes I don't like when woman means prey or like lunch meat. And I'm like, that just sounds like you're afraid of misogyny and violence and that's valid, but I'm not really sure that changes your identity. It sounds like it makes you feel alienated from it. Mm. And that's sad, but I'm not sure that that makes you not cis. And I'm not here to police anyone's experience at all. But I just think that like, maybe those are two different things. And when I hear that, I'm like, that's not my experience of wanting to use they pronouns. It's not because like, I'm afraid of gendered or sexed violence that's going to happen 
around my yeah. life that has already that's like nothing to do with it no one can it, escape that you can do all the right things be all the right things you know yeah. and you're still it, it sucks it fucking Absolutely. sucks that's just the way the Absolutely. world is sorry i'm talking over you i just really agree no t- please <laughs> talk all this is your platform i'm so i'm just so happy we're doing this and i want to hear all the things what is your first uh experience with using they them pronouns like how did you go public with that so once I realized it was a thing, I just like changed it on Facebook and like didn't tell anyone. And for many years, like did not correct people, but would like put it out there to a point where like other people would bring it up with me. I'd be like, do you want me to use these pronouns for you? They're like around, but you never said anything about it. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's really uncomfortable, especially because at first when I started thinking about my gender, I was really terrified that I would be a man. Because I thought if I wasn't a woman, I had a really binary understanding of gender. Most people do. Yeah. So I thought like, well, if I'm not a woman, I must be a man. And that terrified me because from a young age, I kind of understood that my gender wasn't connected to my body. And I was, I've always been very grateful that I was born with the body that I have because it looked like everyone else was like not having a good time. They could only play with like gray stuff and they had to be mean to each other. And I didn't like that but I didn't really feel connected to like womanhood or girlhood either. I was just like, Ooh, that looks gross. Like I don't <laughs> want that one. So when I first started exploring gender, it was scary to me because like, I'm not a man. Yeah. Um, and I think that seeing like this giant list of genders, like, you know, the ones conservatives make fun of really <laughs> helped because as soon as I saw that, like you can experience an absence of something and that can like mean a thing about you, like, Talk uh, talk about that a little more. Like, I'm, I'm curious growing up the way you did, how you like what your influences were and how you started kind of tiptoeing out of the bubble that you were in. Because, mm. I mean, I look at you now and you're so well versed in all this stuff, obviously, but I know that you didn't start out that way. And I'm really curious about the journey, as they say. Yeah. So I also majored in women and gender studies in college. Again, the me search, right? I was trying to figure out why I was like not having a good time mentally and like who I was. And those two things just influenced everything I wanted to study. And those were sort of the first like splits between me and my family um, because I started being like, I think that sitcom is sexist. And my dad was like very fragile and not here for that. Um, and was like, no, if anything, it's sexist towards men because Raymond and everybody loves Raymond. Stupid. Oh my God. I'm like, okay, I don't think I can have this conversation with you because one, I'm young and I'm angry and two, like you're not here for it. So both of these things are not Sometimes Working. it's it's the safest thing for you is just to walk away. Like I, I used to think I had to win every conversation with my dad, for instance. And now I'm, it's just better for our relationship and for both of us if I just give up that fight. Because totally. part of me thinks some people don't change, but that's also kind of a depressing viewpoint to have. So I'm not going to be yeah. the one to change you. That's maybe a better way to think of it. I feel that. So back to gender. Yeah. So, so being open with him in any way about my opinions on sexism and gender kind of like confirmed them (laughs) because I was like, huh, you are reacting as though your power is being challenged when I point out that like, maybe there's an imbalance here. And so starting to tiptoe outside of the box was a lot of like the internet and finding Tumblr and being like, who are all these people with like breasts and mustaches and who are like putting glitter in their beards and who are just like mixing up all these different gendered signifiers. And not only that, but like pushing it over the top and like expressing themselves and making art out of it. And like the sex positivity there was Mm -hmm. like something that was so counter to what I understood. And also my best friends from uh, high school had gone to college and came back and it was like, read this book and had given me a copy of the ethical slut. So I was starting to question ideas about like relationships and power. Could, can you be ethically non-monogamous? All these things were opening up to me that I had never even had them hinted at in my life. So I was doing a lot of like clumsy learning. And that's, I think where a lot of that, like, am I a man came from? Like, I didn't know who I was at all. I was just trying on anything that I saw. Yeah. And I was like trying really hard to understand like my standpoint and like what gender could be and yeah tumblr was like the big thing (laughs) when you're taught that there's only men and women it's like okay i don't feel like a woman so am i a man and then you you realize there's way more than just those genders and also what is gender and do i have a gender it's just like (laughs) oh my god i i can't stop smiling but also i'm terrified (laughs) 
Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. So much that. And I feel like I was walking around with like a secret for a while. Cause I hadn't like figured out the right word. I was still Googling like what are genders like? No shame to anyone who does that, by the way. I Google the most embarrassing stuff all the time. Oh, and you should. You should Google it. I was searching all the Tumblr hashtags. I was like looking at all different kinds of stuff that like maybe I, I think I even knew like maybe this isn't for me. Maybe this isn't who I am. But like I dig the style, right? Yeah. I just wanted to see that people like could be free. Like people, there's um a trans woman who um, died by suicide at one point and people on Tumblr talked about putting on a bunch of makeup and going and crying in public because that's like mm. what she did. And like, wow. she was a person who cried in public to be like, this is life. Like if I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry in front of people. And I was like, I just remember getting chills. Um, oh, I'm getting chills now. Really cool. Yeah. So like, seeing that and being like damn like you can do that you can go be so emotional in the face of a world that doesn't seem to care about you you can go be yourself exactly as you are exactly as you say you are don't change a thing just cry if you want like Hell that's yeah. so cool right so just seeing that example and seeing people who weren't just like repressing themselves all the time and like self-flagellating for like every little indulgence and like yeah. just so perfectionist like is such a relief and such a change of pace that oh my god yeah it was exhilarating i once went to the elementary school where i worked and i didn't feel like wearing makeup that day and i had a pimple and this little third year old third year old this little third grade <laughs> boy came up to me and he was like what's that on your face <laughs> and I don't know. It's just so it's so stupid when you think like my sister was like we were watching a movie with a dinner party scene and everyone was dressed up. I was like, isn't that weird that people are just dressed up like that to sit down and eat with their friends? Like, who says that we have to do that? It's like all these yeah. weird customs when you think about it. It's like society is so weird that it's we all so just conform weird. to this without talking about it. We all just kind of agree. Yes. That you don't, you know, you don't cry in public and you have, you know, if you go out with bags under your eyes, it's like you're sick or sad or something. Right. I don't think it's really good for like our communities. I think that it makes it hard for people to connect with each other if we can't be vulnerable in like any way besides like fucking, right? Yeah. Like that's like the main way anybody gets intimacy or vulnerability in our society because like friendships are not supposed to be touchy-feely like we have all these weird American ideas about yeah relationships and I'm I don't know exactly what I think or feel about relationships I feel pretty monogamous right now but like I think it's important to be able to tell my friends that I love them to like totally. give them hugs you know and I feel like a lot of people don't have that and that's sad yeah and I wish everyone a very happy hug your friends yes <laughs> if there's anything that you take away from this episode go hug your friend even if your friend is your cat just yes. go out, hug your cat, tell them that you love them. Uh, <laughs> I want to go back to you getting out of Ohio, though. Yeah. Because uh, you're in Florida I, now. I am in Florida. I'm in South Florida, which is like a different country. Uh, and it's awesome. You know, I remember when you moved there. I think you were with your ex at the time, right? Yeah, I was with my ex-husband. And I was also um, with my other ex because we were poly. And I was dating this like super old guy. I remember uh, that. Yeah, wild times. Um, that didn't last, didn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I moved down here um, to go to school. I basically like my whole college career. What I really wanted to do was major in like creative writing or do English. But I had been like really discouraged from that by my family <laughs> and uh, by my dad specifically. I want to do something with like visual art. I want to do something with creative writing, and I thought that everyone paid for grad school. I didn't get like a super great scholarship to undergrad. And so I was like, well, I don't want to take out any more loans. I'm kind of burnt out on school and who Feel the that. hell, yeah. <laughs> and who the hell is going to pay for a degree in poetry? That's ridiculous. That's like saying my favorite pet to have is a unicorn. Okay. Then you just don't get a pet. Like, yeah. Cool. So then I found out unicorns exist. <laughs> a few years after I graduated, one of my friends was saying that she was applying to get a master's in screenwriting. And I said, what the hell? How can like, that's so great. Uh, I wish I could afford that. I'd do the same thing. And she was like, oh, I'm not paying for it. And I was like, then what are you doing? She said, well, fully funded programs exist. Oh and I said, I'll be right back. And then I applied to five schools. <laughs> 
um, in like a really short period of time. Uh, I was living in Cleveland at the time, okay. very, very top of Ohio. And the winters there are like really brutal. And I really just needed to move. Yeah. And I didn't really care where. Um, my husband was not working any job that he really cared about. He was doing like, like HelloFresh, Lyft, Uber, yeah. Starbucks stuff. Um, and so he was like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> Let's go. And so when I got in, I was like, I have to take this chance. I got to go. If I have to do another Cleveland winter, I'll die. And this is what I want to do more than anything in the world. They're going to pay for it. They're going to pay me to go to school. I didn't realize at the time, like how the stipend would hit in Boca Raton, Florida, which is one of like the most expensive places to live in the country. Oh, yikes. Uh, Yeah. But uh, at the time, like I had support and we had no kids and um, I did have custody of my sister, but she had just turned like 19 and was really ready to get out of living with her older sibling like she was over it is she the youngest in your family yeah she's the baby oh that's a whole different world (laughs) yes oh my gosh such a such a different world I tried to get her to move with us down to Florida because I was kind of worried about her being on her own but at the same time um I'm really glad that she got to do her own thing and I knew that she just really needed to be independent for a while yeah I think because she didn't move with us, like we're still pretty close. Cause I think that it would have been tough. Oh my God. Did. Yeah. My, my sister, uh, she came out to my parents in 2018 and she moved in with me and my ex Shit. in DC. And then when my ex and I broke up, the three of us lived together, like a sitcom. It was really, really wild. But anyway, she was going to move with me to Seattle, but she didn't. And it was the best thing that could have not happened for us because yeah. <laughs> but it, it's yes. so heartbreaking, like talking about grief this is kind of a tangent, but when you're an older sibling and then you realize that you, your younger siblings not only are not going to learn from your mistakes, but they just actively repeat your same mistakes. Yeah. That is heartbreaking. It is. I keep being like, please go to therapy. Please go to therapy. But they have to learn. Like that's the only way to do it. That's how we did it. It's so true. And I, then I look at Christy too. And I think like I had a much better or no, she has, she has a much better head on her shoulders than I did when I was her age. Like yeah. she's more confident, more independent. She's done a lot more like quote unquote adult things, probably because she didn't go to college. Right. Yeah. Like, same with my siblings. Uh, yeah. And I was kind of babied in college and afterward by living with a lot of people like my age. And so for her to kind of strike out, do it on her own, always be the youngest one and like trying to catch up, like she's kicking ass. I'm just jealous of how in they have both feet in the world and they're just so curious and i'm so jealous of that same same i was thinking about that about how like the millennial stereotype is someone that's like how did i get that way like why was i afraid to make phone calls for so long oh my god so many people like my age have like crippling anxiety and why why are we like just self-soothing instead of sometimes doing exposure you're speaking to my soul right now. I literally was like <laughs> lying face down on the bed before this. I was like, I don't want to do anything. I'm so anxious. I don't want it to be tomorrow because that means it's going to be Monday. And I, yeah. I just can't think about any of my obligations right now. And it's just yeah. like, like, why? Yeah, I'm trying really hard to practice opposite action, that good old DBT skill and just say like, okay, I might be afraid of this, but it's not going to kill me. I have to like face it head on. It's okay if I only spend 15 minutes doing it. Like I was definitely nervous before this too, but trying like DBT just saved my life. And I'm trying really hard yeah. to be skillful more often because of the grief that I'm experiencing. So when things like anxiety are heightened, like I love talking about myself. Why am I nervous? Right? Like <laughs> my anxiety is heightened because I've been emotionally and then I'm like, huh, that's uh, that's goofy. Better get some water because maybe I had a little too much caffeine and like, let's do this, mm-hmm. which is so hard, but it gets easier. Yeah. Well, you write and I have a podcast, so we can't ever be anxious. <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> it's not like that's something that anxious people do as an outlet or anything. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're so off track. Oh, yeah. What were we even talking about? I think I was supposed to talk about divorce. (laughs) That's the thing though. I always get off topic talking about my divorce because in my head too, it's kind of hard to talk about. Uh, My girlfriend's been making fun of me because she's like, you keep being like, I'll just have a crumb of divorce. Just just a little little tidbit. Just a palate cleanser. (laughs) Just a, yeah, just a little spoonful of divorce. Goes down easy. She's like, it's still fucking divorce, Eileen. (laughs) Well, hey, it's like exposure therapy starts small. 
you know, just it a is. sprinkling. It is. I keep, I think, like having a hard time uh, accepting that like it's going to be tough when we care about each other. Because, yeah, that's something that makes it harder, but it's also something that makes it easier. I don't know. Tell, talk about your poetry because we haven't really talked about it and I'm obsessed. <laughs> you, you go to school for it. Obviously, you've been published and shit. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and I just want to talk about like, when did you first start getting into that and how is it related to your mental health? So this is a really great question to be talking about because I have to write a thesis essay on like this exact thing. Oh, um, but it absolutely like, yeah, right. Like, thank you for helping me do my homework. <laughs> it's very related to my mental health. Um, from a young age, I was really concerned about like religion and God watching me. And I really wanted to express how I was feeling. And I had gone to church a lot and I took the Bible very seriously and at face value. Again, I think I'm a little bit on the spectrum. So when the Bible says like, you like should only create things in the name of the Lord, I think every poem I have to write has to be about Jesus. Otherwise I'm sinning. And I would feel guilty anytime that I like didn't write a religious poem, but I was writing poems all the time. Even if it was just like at the end, a little couplet being like, and this is why God is really good. And why oh we should God. do what he says we should or whatever. Like um because I'm freaking myself out oh my gosh and the first time I used a curse word in a poem girl oh my I was so god scared. I was so scared I was like someone's gonna see I'm uh recording a solo episode after this and I'm gonna be <laughs> reading in a journal entry from 2009 and I, I was trying to be a Christian girl at the time too but also I used the word like tit in one of my entries <laughs> and like <laughs> I, I would write something like, oh, my God, but the G had to be capitalized. <laughs> it's just of course. Like, it's so cringy, but that's where oh we gosh. come from. It's so true. I would like hit my friends for cursing. Like I was just so concerned about like purity for so long. Oh my God. Purity culture. We can go back uh, another day and talk about sure. that for hours. Yeah. God. For sure. I want a bumper sticker uh, that said purity culture fucked me up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I want to put that on my forehead. Like, right? Let's get damn. matching tattoos after this. <laughs> I'm into it. Let's go. Okay, but poetry. Yes. So You were not writing about Jesus. No, but I, w I would try to a lot. Um, but every once in a while, like, I wouldn't. Or I, but mostly, even if I was writing about Jesus, I was really writing about being depressed, about feeling trapped. I started writing poetry when I was around, like, 10... 11, 12 years old in there. And one of the first poems that I ever wrote was a religious poem that like my priest still has in like the office, like the sacristy in the back of the church. Like I saw it this past Christmas when I went to visit my family. It's a whole other can of worms. My mouth yeah, is just I open. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I know. He's like, every day before I say mass, I shine my shoes. I look at this poem and I wonder where is I mean? And I'm like, <laughs> not where you think. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's so cringy to the poem it's like uh it's called he is our king like it's very like standard old question yeah very standard so I wrote a lot of that for a long time before I started to break out of it in high school I think I stopped feeling a certain amount of guilt I was really like starting to kind of struggle with adhering to my faith puberty was winning I wanted to I wanted to fool around I wanted to kiss people and like that I was like uh-oh so then I started writing poetry about other stuff because I was like well that's not as bad as all the all the kissing that I want to do <laughs> did you write poetry about it I did. Yeah, I totally did. It was very cringy. And also, again, like red flag for being a secret lesbian, right? I was in a long distance relationship with someone who was also trying very hard to be chased. So like, we we're being very like pure. And I was like, this is fine for most of it, right? Like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I started experimenting with form and like doing different things. It was still very much like based on my mental health. I would take creative writing classes and like hated the prompts. I hated doing anything that I was told to. It yeah. wasn't until I got to college that like I got some more like advanced ideas for what to create, like take a news article and write a poem, things like that, that are actually kind of interesting to do that. Like I, I started feeling like I was writing from a place that was maybe a little bit more than just emotional, but it really wasn't until now that I started to get more invested in the process instead of writing from a place of like being upset. So like, I'll see a retweet and be like, that's the first line of a poem. I don't know what yet, but now I'm going to create it. As opposed to being like, I'm really sad. I need to write a poem. Uh, sometimes like the form and the content are coming like before the emotion, which is a cool place to be at as an artist or as a writer. Yeah. It's a long time to get here to be more process focused. But yeah, that's kind of my poetry history in a nutshell. 
How do you see your mental health being affected on a daily basis because of your poetry? Mm. So anytime that I get upset or that I feel like an uncanny or strange moment, there is a part of my brain that's like poem fodder. <laughs> like this is some scraps. You could save these for later, maybe make something out of it. And that helps. Like that helps me make meaning out of feeling miserable. Totally. Also, when I'm writing, I can write anything. I can write anything that exists at all ever. So I can write poems where like mental illness makes you smarter or I have a pet narwhal in my bathtub. These are poems that I've been reading, writing. Recently. Oh my God. Um, I love it. And it's, it's a place where like my mental illness can be a joke or a metaphor or a cartoon instead of like a thing that makes me really miserable. I think about that all the time. Because there's other cultures, right, that they place a lot of uh, reverence on mental illness. I sound like super ignorant because I don't know what it is, but <laughs> I, I know that that's a thing that exists. Like we aren't, this isn't the only way to think about mental illness. Yeah, a lot of cultures too think about it as something that's in the body, which I really like because I think of my poetry as something that's in the body. And I think mm. of my poetry as a space that comes from like a physical place inside me, a space that is about like, attention to the world around me more so than just like thinking and my, it's my job to translate that but like I feel like mental illness can be such a similar experience you like feel something in your body you struggle to understand how to say it like you have to put words on it you have to translate it in order to like move through it and for me poetry is really similar and I think that's why it's helped me move through stuff with mental illness but also like that's such a space of possibility to just feel something in your body and move through like that could be anything so well, I was gonna say that's a great segue into you know your relationship with your body because if you don't use those feelings in your body and put them out as art or whatever mm -hmm. then you're that's going to come out in other ways like addiction and eating disorders and mm -hmm. all this stuff and I know you're no stranger to that uh great. we don't have to talk about it a ton but how I don't know what's your relationship with your body like now and how has that evolved over the years Oh gosh, it's evolved so much. Like whenever you first met me, that was such a low point. Um, and my relationship with my body was characterized by kind of similar feelings of like purity and fear. But instead of like every poem has to be about God, it was like every meal has to be nutritiously the bare minimum and as full as I can get. And like, it was just always this like push toward like perfection that had to do, I think, with really believing about like things about excess in my body and trying to almost like exorcise mm. those emotions and my relationship with my body now is like uh, I just have a different understanding of how emotions live in my body I mm. understand them as something that can only go away through attention and can only go away through acceptance and that doesn't mean that I'm good at those things yeah. it just means I know about it right <laughs> but but you're um, not before, you don't have it all figured out? What am no, I talking I to you for? <laughs> shucks, I don't know. <laughs> well, how did you come to that conclusion, though? Oh, shucks, so much DBT therapy and, like, having to go sober for a while, too. Like, not drinking, not smoking weed, no cigarettes, no medication. Wow. Just raw dog in reality for several months. That's literally my worst nightmare. It was a time when my eating disorder was really bad. Like I was walking for hours all the time, but I also had such a clarity, which is so funny too, because I also really was avoiding pot at the time, not just because of munchies and because my therapist told me not to, but because I would smoke weed and I would be like, damn, eating disorders are like stupid. Yes. Like, it was so oh my weird. God. Called out. Like all of a sudden, <laughs> like weed would be like, you know, this isn't sustainable, right? Like, what are you going to do tomorrow? Loser. <laughs> like, <laughs> And I would have this clarity where I'd be like, what, what, where is that coming from? Cause like in my daily life sober, that was not happening, but yeah, coming to terms with so much about emotions by having no other way to deal with them, except like, even though I was like restricting, I was still eating extremely regularly. And even though I was probably exercising too much, I was trying to be mindful and it was a lot of walking. Listen, no one can be perfect. <laughs> no one can be perfect. Right. So, but those are like, that was the extent of my bad coping was like uh having a lot of food judgments but still trying to eat enough and and exercising too much but not that bad right like that was it that's so little right like that's and so getting in touch with your body in a whole scary new way it really was it really was and then i started not even using those coping mechanisms to deal with it and that's when they finally let me like 
try medication to help regulate my mood because mm-hmm. I was in an eating disorder like program um at the Emily program in Cleveland I highly recommend oh yeah uh, I've heard their, of them. their model yeah it worked really well for me um might not for everybody but DBT they're really good about adhering to like the exact ways of practicing it and I found my therapist shout out to Sam uh <laughs> she was really good she like challenged me on my bullshit she was smarter than I was and like would point out things that I didn't know about myself. Like she's genuinely insightful. And she had this really good balance of caring about what I was saying and invalidating me, but really not babying me. She was not about bullshit. And like, I needed that because I was very much, I was very much steeped in bullshit. And I was used to therapists being like, it's okay. Just like affirm yourself. And like, that wasn't getting me anywhere. Like, okay, I affirm that I don't want to eat today. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> right. Like, okay, cool. Done. I'm fixed, I guess. Like <laughs> wait, you're not fixed. <laughs> <laughs> well, my doctor is worried I might want to have kids, so no, I'm oh. just kidding. Um <laughs> no, uh, I, I, you're a funny one. <laughs> yeah, no, I th- I would say though I'm really largely in recovery. Um, and I always have to hesitate not to make the joke that about being large and in recovery. Oh my god, stop. <laughs> I know, right? It's mean, it's mean. I don't We all I don't think it. it. It's okay. It's just funny wordplay to me at this point. I'm a poet. Um, Words are hilarious. They are, they are. But no, I have a lot of peace with my body where like I either like it or I feel pretty neutral. I think I have things that I would change about it. I think that's kind of normal because I don't think about it all the time. But like, if someone's like, what would you do if you won the lottery? I'm like, well, breast lift isn't not on there, but like, <laughs> I'm not currently saving, you know, whatever. Yeah. Also, it's your body. You're allowed to change it if you want to within, you know, as long as you're taking care of yourself and you're mentally healthy. I completely agree with that. And I think it's like a kind of harsh and dogmatic view of body positivity if you don't allow for that. Cause like, I love my Agreed. tattoos and piercings. Like I want to alter my body sometimes. Right. Oh yeah. But yeah, I feel like that's like the where I'm at on that spectrum is like really normal, especially in like our fucked up American society. And I've done a lot to like let go of food judgments. And I, yeah, I just feel like my relationship with my body, I I just feel like I want it to work. And like, I think that's pretty great. Hell yeah. I just want to be able to like rollerblade. (laughs) It's it's crazy how like, I, I also use the right word crazy as a descriptor a lot. I'm trying not to do that as much. But um, it's it's wild how your body stops working after a certain amount of time. And like, I don't take it for granted anymore. No, no. So, yeah, just wanting it to work. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Just wanting it to work. I used to really like not care about that. I think like exercise was always like punishment or something difficult. And now I just like want to get out and like do fun stuff. And like that means having a body that works. So for me, like it's it's really good. I would say for me, that's like a pretty ideal version of recovery yeah (laughs) hell yeah yeah (laughs) um this has been so great is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we say goodbye what's next for your poetry and for your mental health i guess is the next question that's such a nice question um that's such a good one Um, For my poetry, I have two things coming out in print soon, which is exciting. I have a poem in an anthology coming out with Small Orange, which is cool. Their second anthology I'm in. And then um, the eighth issue of Cherry Tree Review is going to have two of my poems in it, um, which is really exciting. One of them is where God says sorry (laughs) by like, I rewrote a Catholic prayer, the act of contrition. So I'm excited for that one to get published so that's what's next and for my mental health I started seeing a therapist again because I kind of need like some emotional support conversations um, while I'm doing like my last semester of grad school and moving in with my girlfriend and going through this divorce and so all these things kind of swirling around me I was like you know I need to need to have an outlet so I'm so proud of you like seriously just since I I don't I don't know you that well but just since knowing you online like you've really taken your your recovery into your own hands and like while while acknowledging that you're not perfect and it's just really beautiful and encouraging to see thanks yeah I, I feel like every recovery is like bespoke and I just you know, whatever works for you, you got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I think too, like just getting to root issues is so difficult, but so powerful for, at least that was my experience and integrating over time. I'm just, it's nice to that you have seen that process because it has been such a process and having that comparison of like, damn, like 2018, that was a hard year. We're not there uh, anymore. I would, like, cool. I would never go back if you paid me. Never. Nope. 
Couldn't do it. Except I liked my hair. My hair was long in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you on social media and stuff if they want to get in touch or read your stuff? Okay, so my I didn't know how this came off, right? But when I'm first chatting up my girlfriend, I she was like, "Where can I read your poetry?" And I was like, "I don't know. You can like Google me." I didn't realize that sounded like you can't. I did before. Yeah, this. you can. I literally did. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you can Google me. I'm in like Alien Magazine and Blood Orange Tarot and a couple other online places. The Best of the Net Anthology. I have a poem in there. Um, but you can find me on social media by finding me on Instagram. I'm shift.aced. It's kind of like shit faced, but not. It's my favorite um, username ever. <laughs> thank you. Very before that, I think I was uh what was I? I was Judge Booty for a while. <laughs> I like I really have fun coming out with my shift.aced. <laughs> Got it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And on Twitter, I'm all one word weird museum. Hell yeah. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> thank you so much again, Eileen. This was such a pleasure. And uh, um yeah, I'm just excited to see where you go next. Thank you so much. This was like so much fun. Thanks for letting me talk about myself for an hour. Of course. Was a good time. <laughs> and Ruby, hold on. Oh my God. This is. <laughs> oh my gosh. Kitty cat. She's so fluffy. She's very fluffy. Um, yeah. You had to see her before. before I, I did. I did. I think piano's hiding now, unfortunately, but she says goodbye. <laughs> oh, goodbye, piano. So thank you so much. This was really fun. Have yes, a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Hello friends, it's Christina again. As always, thank you for listening. If you want to support Pickles and Vodka, you can give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, Pickles and Vodka Podcast. If you could relate to anything at all we talked about today, or you just want to say hi, email me at picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com, or DM me on Instagram at picklesandvodkapodcast. Stay safe and have a good week. Bye.